coming up. And today we are introducing Dr. Dan Gertenberg. He has a PhD in cognitive psychology and he is the CEO of Sleep Space. So he's going to talk to us a lot about behavioral interventions for improving sleep. I'm just uh, obsessed with this idea of the possibility of enhancing sleep during sleep. And typically I've done that using sounds. Um, I've also explored how light and training uh, certain light environments at your wind down and wake up can help with your sleep. And I've built the most accurate sleep tracker on the market. And it works with either wearables or just the sensors of your phone. Um, and then we'll play sounds very precisely using this little mechanism I invented that turns your phone into a smart bed, essentially. That's called the sleep space smart bed. Deep sleep in particular has been shown to be, play a major role in getting Alzheimer's disease. Mm. Basically, you have this galvanic cleansing system in the brain where during deep sleep, um, basically the piping in your brain opens up more mm. and it cleans out this beta amyloid plaques and other plaques that form. And so insomnia also is linked to getting less deep sleep. There's different phenotypes of insomniac. Um, and there's definitely one where you're just, you know, your cortisol is pumping all the time and your your adrenals burn out. Right. You know, and a lot of this is getting like a healthier circadian rhythm. So you want that cortisol spike in the morning. Like that's a natural response. You know, you want to rev up in the morning. There's a there's a healthy stress, and then there's chronic stress. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're chronically stressed, the, it flattens out the circadian rhythm. You know, so just, sleep supplementation with any sort of like marijuana, how does that really impact sleep? Is that actually a good tool to use? And so it's very clear in the literature that um, THC does negatively impact your REM sleep. I think oftentimes it's better than alcohol. Um, and if you are going to, you know, do something to unwind, I think, you know, it's always like compared to what, um, it could be a lot worse if you'd be up for two hours without it on a, you know, on a regular basis, mm -hmm. um, it's probably better to take it than not. And also dosage probably matters a lot. And, you know, if you, I think there's a difference between doing it every day and being like, okay, I'm particularly wound up. I know it's going to be hard for me to fall asleep. I'm going to do it once. It might inhibit my REM a little bit, but I'm not chronically inhibiting my REM. When you do it chronically, and uh, pun not intended there, mm -hmm. with the mm -hmm. chronic, um, <laughs> the chronic chronically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you do the chronic chronically, uh, you're going to inhibit your REM, right. um, but alcohol definitely negatively impacts your sleep quality. It's one of the biggest things people find if they ever use a whoop or any any of these wearables, you really need heart rate to measure the sleep stages and you'll just see that it gets completely destroyed. We want to invite you to the first annual Munch Bunch Wellness and Rejuvenation Retreat in the Dominican Republic, November 9th through the 12th, 2023. It will be an all-inclusive retreat meant to refuel you, give you a chance to rest, relax, and network with others in our Munch Bunch family. We will also be talking 
about ways to get out of your own way so you can live your dreams, build your business, and do what you need to do. So check it out. The link is in the description, and the dates are November 9th through the 12th. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. I am your co-host, Megan Vinoy, myofunctional therapist with my co-host, Bestie, and myofunctional therapist, Kimmy Nishimoto. And today we are introducing Dr. Dan Gertenberg. He has a PhD in cognitive psychology, and he is the CEO of Sleep Space. So he's going to talk to us a lot about behavioral interventions for improving sleep. He's been doing a ton of research around uh, insomnia. He's moving into some sleep apnea staff, which is very exciting for us. He also said he's going to start doing some research around myofunctional therapy, which obviously Kimmy and I are pumped about. (laughs) And so he's got a lot of things to talk with us about today. I'm super, super excited. Um, Almost so excited that I almost forgot that we're going to actually have him pull our affirmator first, introduce himself and talk to us more. And we're going to dive in. So Dan, Kimmy has got the cards. Take it away, Kimmy. Okay. Tell me when. All right. Well, thank you for having me on your show. First and foremost, I'm going to say when now. Okay. Kimmy's like, like, it's this one. It's this one. (laughs) My body malfunction there. All right. So there is a girl taking a photo and it's spraying rainbows. Okay. Um, And the affirmator for this week is luck. Good fortune is about to smile upon me, and I've got my cosmic camera ready to capture the moment. This luck might be something small, like a miraculous parking space. Or it might be something big, like for finding the perfect job slash relationship slash pair of jeans. At the very least, maybe I'll find that missing remote. Everybody needs a dream. Perfect. Everybody needs a dream. We all need to sleep. So there we go. I love it. I love it. Um, so Dan, tell us more about yourself. Give us the whole spiel. How did you get here? What's I'll been going you. on? Yeah. <laughs> so I've been studying sleep for 15 years. I'm just uh, obsessed with this idea of the possibility of enhancing sleep during sleep. And typically I've done that using sounds. Um, I've also explored how light and training uh, certain light environments at your wind down and wake up can help with your sleep. And I've built the most accurate sleep tracker on the market. And it works with either wearables or just the sensors of your phone. Hmm. And unlike a lot of the other wearables, um, this tracks your sleep in real time. So like Whoop and Aura Ring, they all actually analyze your data after the night of sleep has occurred. Whereas our algorithm is measuring sleep in real time for the purpose of doing something. And I've worked with the NIH and the uh, University of Arizona and Penn State, and we're currently validating a new treatment for insomnia. And recently, I've gotten really interested in solving the problem of sleep apnea, and I stumbled on myofunctional therapy, and I'm really interested to learn more from you guys about that too. 
Oh, we love that. (laughs) Anything related to tongues and breathing, we are there for it. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have 12 hours on, you know, just free for us right now? (laughs) We'll talk after. Yeah, right. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. So tell us more. First of all, tell us more about the app. What's the name of it? How does it work? You know, Agina gave us kind of the, like, the small part, but give us kind of more about, like, what people can expect. Um how they can get it, what what does it all do? Yeah, so it's free uh, for 14 days at sleepspace.com. We try to give it away for free just to make sure you get a benefit before we take your money. And we create this thing called a sleep journey, which is a structured set of sounds that involves a wind down, um, sounds played throughout the night, and then a smart alarm clock for deeper for to wake you in a lighter stage of sleep. And if anyone's used a sound machine for your baby, or maybe you use it for yourself, one thing I've seen in our lab is that even subtle sounds can wake up your brain during sleep. Hmm. So we use a sound mask uh, to block out those noises. And we actually adjust the sound based on your sleep stage. And then that helps us more effectively block out the noises and we'll also play a delta wave sound um, and inc- includes nature sounds like ocean waves, meditations, you know, di- uh, diaphragmatic breathing exercises, box breathing exercises. Um, for if you're particularly wound up, progressive muscle relaxation before bed is one of the things that's been proven to help with falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And we'll integrate with all the wearables like Aura, Whoop, we'll integrate with all those as well. Um, and then we'll play sounds very precisely using this little mechanism I invented that turns your phone into a smart bed, essentially. That's called the sleep space smart bed. Um, and so if I get the phone closer, I can actually measure sound very precisely. And that's part of what the research direction is that I'm going in which is using your phone sensors to continuously monitor sleep apnea, for example. We haven't built that yet, but that's in the pipeline. Hmm. So it's kind of like the ultimate awesome sound machine. Is that correct? I like that. It's a simpler way than my academic jargon. I I should lead with that. I love it. I love it. And is it is it age specific? Like you, you mentioned like a sound machine for your kids. I already told you I have a two year old. Um, <laughs> is it is it age specific? Like, could I use it for Izzy baby? Or is this for, you use it for a baby for sure? Yeah. Um, Interesting. And we have sounds for the baby. The baby has different sensors for their ears. So they're sensitive to different noises. So we have a baby sound mask as well. If you've ever heard of like stimulus control therapy for insomnia, um, Mm -hmm. I think about it. So basically like associating your bed with sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, That's like one of the main treatments for insomnia. The the saying is save your bed for sleep and sex only. You've probably heard that before. I think about it as like a super stimulus control where we're creating these extra associations and that's a big part of, you know, getting your baby, sleep training your baby is creating those associations of like, now it's bedtime. This is our ritual. Um, and parents go either super extreme with that, or you should always have some kind of thing. But um, I like to 
think about how we're we're just association machines at the end of the day. So how do we build these associations throughout the night that keep us feeling secure, comfortable, and asleep? Hmm. Um, it's kind of like the the whole Pavlov's dog. When you hear the sound of a bell, you salivate. It's kind of like that at like a really high end level, very scientific. That is exactly what I'm going for. I'm obsessed with the Pavlovian dog things. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, because so Kimmy knows that actually probably any if you're long any sort of long time listener um, with Isabel, I we went through sleep training with her with the, the amazing Jenny June, um, and. Uh, you know, it's, we do, we have a whole routine. She gets a candle lit bath. She she blows out her candle. We make a wish and we put on her sleep sack and, you know, she has a whole routine, um, that we go through. And since that we've like integrated that, like she sleeps amazingly, Kimmy can attest from when mm-hmm. she has stayed at our house. Um, Izzy is, uh, an awesome little sleeper generally. Um, and so, it's, it was interesting to really see how finally getting her into her routine has really, really helped. And I've always like known like adults are supposed to have routines too. Uh, but I feel like that's like a, it's harder for, I don't know why, like, cause I think, cause we have cell phones, but um, <laughs> cause we're obsessed with our screens. <laughs> yeah. That, that tension between the phone helping and hurting is definitely something that is tricky to navigate. Um, because it often does do more harm than good, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, so tell me, so because it has the app, um, you know, we always hear about, like, you shouldn't sleep with your phone in your room, or you shouldn't sleep your phone by you, or, you know, like, yeah. some of that kind of stuff. How have you kind of, like, helped, like, marry the two or connect that? Yeah, there is it so it's a not bad <laughs> that I'm constantly being conscientious of. And so one thing we did is we made sure that the phone works in offline mode. So the intention is you set your phone to sleep space. It plays ocean waves, but it dis- you can do that while you're disconnected from the internet, basically. And uh, it can work, you know, if the phone is just out of reach in your room. And we actually put it at the foot of our beds. So the phone is actually out of reach. And... Um, It'll block EMF too. Some people are more or less concerned about electromagnetic frequencies from the phone. So the smart bed mechanism actually reflects those EMF waves. Hmm. And what are their their concerns with EMF and sleep? Yeah, a lot of biohackers are concerned that constantly getting exposed to like the electrical waves of your phone can be problematic. I haven't seen just like chronic inflammation story. I haven't seen a randomized clinical trial that shows that. I think it could be possible. I've done measurements in my room and basically uh, distance is a big factor. So I think as long as the phone is like a foot away from you, you should, especially with like my mechanism, you shouldn't get any signal. And then if it's... um, in in airplane mode, then you're basically totally fine. Mm -hmm. That's my general opinion right now. But I think a lot of the biohackers react to the phone being a bad thing. And they might, um, and I think that's a good intuition. 
but I think it might have more to do with the addictive nature of these things and mm -hmm. how it's like flooding. If you do use it, it's like flooding your brain with dopamine before sleep, which isn't so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I heard Elon Musk on a podcast um, when they asked him about what he thought about the 5G phones, because like it or not, 5G is going to be in the phones. It's just a faster signal. <laughs> Um, but he said that he wouldn't care if he had all sorts of cell phones attached to his body. Like he wasn't really concerned about it. Yeah. So I think that if you have like Bluetooth by your head, basically distance plays a huge role in signals like that. So it's like an exponential decrease in signal from based on distance. Mm -hmm. So if you're concerned, you should basically never take a phone call because you're going to get more dose from that than anything else. <laughs> uh, I think they just haven't really done the studies necessarily. And above and beyond the EMF, I think it's important to have a ritual of sort of putting your phone to bed at night. And that's what I'm trying to create. You know, I have this cradle mechanism that you put your phone in and then it's out of reach. So I think getting putting your phone away at night um out of reach i think is an important thing for the behavioral disconnect from this device that we're so obsessed with you know <laughs> yes <laughs> um i have a bad habit sometimes of reading my emails before i go to sleep and sometimes i think that i respond to them or i clicked unread so i go back to it in the morning which is kind of counterintuitive i probably just shouldn't do it at all but um, when I was younger and like on the dating apps before I met my sweet, sweet Andy, I would swipe before I'd go to bed. But sometimes I'd be swiping in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you met Andy. Yeah, <laughs> your unconscious your dream husband. husband. <laughs> your dream husband. Oh, yeah. We I love would. Andy. <laughs> it's not how I met Andy, but it's how I matched with a lot of like weird yeah. old men or like <laughs> People with um, elastics in their mustaches. Interesting. This, this is an amazing that. story. This is an amazing story. Uh, yes, I love that. That's so funny. Uh, we want to introduce this Thought for Tots course, a parent's guide for toddlers ages 2 to 5 for Mini Mayo. We have Megan and Kimmy going over nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. Uh, the course is $2.97 and the link will be in the description. Funny. Um, yeah, so okay, that, that's great because I, I think that is going to be resistance that you know we get anytime there's a sleep app or I mean we have I have a lot of patients in my practice who you know talk about the EMF and so I think that's really cool that you already have a solution for that because you're right yeah the biohackers love to talk about the EMF stuff so um that's how I learned about it was from my patients who are biohackers so <laughs> I think there's um, something to it I, I want to explore yeah. it more I haven't yeah. it's I haven't seen, I want to, if anyone, anyone has a randomized clinical trial that's evaluating this, any of your listeners, like, please, I'm curious. I've, I've looked, um, but I couldn't find it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question going back to the smart bed. So a lot of times when people get a diagnosis of sleep apnea or snoring, they're given the options of CPAP, 
uh, oral appliance, myofunctional therapy, or an adjustable base bed so they can lift the head up so they have less collapse of that airway. Um, unfortunately, that's really expensive. I know that when I went to like Furniture Road to go price them out, it was anywhere from three to $5,000 for that sort of bed. Um, yeah. Ended up getting one on Amazon. It was like less than two. So there's an idea for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but what's the difference between an adjustable base bed and a smart bed? Yeah, so I guess when I say smart bed, I'm saying a system of being able to track your sleep. So we'll measure your sleep quality and we'll also be able to um, measure your snoring. So we'll actually record if you want to. It's sort of a personal thing to record you throughout the night. And we never save data on our server, by the way. So it's all just stored on, locally on your phone. Um, you'll be able to listen back to your snoring throughout the night. And I guess what I also feel like is smart is actually doing something during sleep based on that measurement to enhance sleep. So in our case, we're adjusting sounds. And if you buy these LifeX bulbs that we integrate with, we'll actually give you like a smart wake up with the light and we'll dim everything red at night. I really like the red light at night as a ritual. And there's also a mechanism with the photoreceptors in your eyes and melatonin uh, for why, you know, and that's another reason why the phones are bad is the blue light. You really want red light at night. Hmm. Whereas the adjustable mattress, you're just setting that, you know, you're manually shifting it. I think it's great. I want to integrate with an adjustable mattress at some point, but um, I guess it's smart in some ways, but it's not doing anything intelligent based on data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, one app that we hear a lot about, cause I know you've talked about the aura ring and then what was the other one you said? Whoop. Whoop. Um, there's another one that we talk about called snore lab. Yeah. We do a lot of what snore lab does okay. like measuring the snore. Mm, okay. Um, we'll also measure pulse oxygenation, and we have a collaboration with the company Wesper. Oh, where yeah. You can get diagnosed for sleep apnea um, through an integration we have with them. Yeah, I went to try Wesper, but they uh, I'm one of those people who doesn't have an iPhone. Uh, ah. And so they don't have an Android capability as of yet. They're working on summer, it. But I think they're working on it. So. Once they have that, I was curious to try it, but they're like, yeah, it's only iPhone compatible. And I was like, oh, I'm one of those people. I don't have yeah. one. <laughs> one of those. Oh no, we're, we're on Android and iPhone. So you uh, can try that. That's fine. I'll just do, I'll use yours. Right. Um, yeah, I know. I, yeah, you don't always... diagnose for sleep apnea. Just That's all right. I've already done a sleep test. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I've done several. Uh, I, yeah. So postpartum, um, you know, becoming a mom and, my sleep has changed a lot. So I'm always working on like the sleep hygiene stuff. Actually, Kimmy and I created, um, we have, it's called our best sleep handout. Um, and like the acronym best sleep kind of stands for all the things that we recommend for sleep hygiene, um, which sounds like a lot of what you guys are kind of tracking to help with better sleep too. So how would you consider behavioral interventions for improving sleep? Is that through the sounds? Is that through making sure that you have like, you know, the rituals you're talking about? What are some of those things that you would say really kind of goes towards that? 
Yeah. So th th there's like the sound. A lot of people get the software for the sounds because everyone wants sounds that makes their sleep deeper, you know, and that's what we're offering. But then from a behavioral perspective, we have a six week program that was based off of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia that we developed with professors at the University of Arizona and also Penn State. Cool. So this is what we're validating currently in a clinical trial. And it'll walk you through the modules of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It's just based on that. It's not an actual treatment for insomnia, but it includes main many of the main components, which involves things like stimulus control, cognitive training. Um, so that's addressing maladaptive thoughts when it comes to sleep. Um, actually restricting, compressing the time that you're in bed. And that is also related to stimulus control because if you're in bed for too long, you begin associating the bed with being awake. Um, and then, and that's bad. And then- Interesting. Also, okay, um, yeah. So counterintuitively, if you're having sleep problems, a lot of people think, oh my God, I'm sleeping you know, six hours and I'm in bed nine hours. I need to be in bed 10 hours to get the seven hours that I actually need. The problem with that is then you go to bed and you're not tired, which sort of feeds into the insomnia, uh, the, the sleep problem. Mm -hmm. So counterintuitively, you should build up your homeostatic need for sleep by going to bed, if anything, a little bit later. And you should really only go to bed when you're tired. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final component of this is training relaxation. You know, everyone should be able to reliably reduce their heart rate. And so we'll actually give you feedback on how effective you were in doing that. If you wear an Apple watch, for example, and we have a bunch of nature sounds, meditations and stuff for that. Mm -hmm. Which is really helpful because a lot of people that are insomniacs also are kind of high stress people that have a tendency not to be able to relax. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Speaking of insomnia, what are the kind of consequences of insomnia in the brain? Yeah, so this is really our area of research. I mean, poor sleep impacts every single organ. Um, what we study in particular is the relationship between poor sleep and Alzheimer's disease and cardiovascular mm -hmm. disease. So deep sleep in particular has been shown to be play a major role in getting Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. Basically, you have this galvanic cleansing system in the brain where during deep sleep, um, basically the piping in your brain opens up more mm -hmm. and it cleans out this beta amyloid plaques and other plaques that form. So the idea that a lot of scientists have had is oh my God, if we could increase deep sleep, what if that is the cure for Alzheimer's disease? And a lot of people are working on this problem. Um, and so insomnia also is linked to getting less deep sleep. So what we're trying to show in our current study is that by treating 60 plus year olds with insomnia, we can actually improve their cognition and um, increase their deep sleep 
and show that there's certain blood-based biomarkers, we could possibly show that these uh, blood-based biomarkers that are related to Alzheimer's disease are reduced with our intervention. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do right now. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Is insomnia also related to high cortisol levels in the body? Yeah. So a lot of times if you're, there's certain, I think similar to sleep apnea, there's different phenotypes of insomniac. Um, And there's definitely one where you're just, you know, your cortisol is pumping all the time and your, your adrenals burn out. Right. You know, and a lot of this is getting like a healthier circadian rhythm. So you want that cortisol spike in the morning. Like that's a natural response. You know, you want to rev up in the morning. There's a, there's a healthy stress and then there's chronic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're chronically stressed, the, it flattens out the circadian rhythm. So it's just like constant boosts of cortisol that are external to you, not naturally occurring in your body. And that essentially flattens your circadian rhythm. And it's one of the reasons why um, probably older people have a harder time consolidating their sleep and they take more naps and whatnot. But obviously there's things you can do like sunlight exposure, um, regularity of bedtime, uh, the external cues that affect your chronobiology and your rhythms. Mm. I've been really interested this week in grounding. Do you know much about grounding? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. I, again, would want to see the, I want to see the randomized clinical trial showing that it helps with sleep. Mm -hmm. I think there's something there. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a hippie in my heart. So I just love the idea of like connecting to the earth and like putting my energy with the earth. Like, um, is it actually this electricity coming from the ground or is it simply that like humans get less stressed when they're in nature and they're mm-hmm. in the sunlight or is it a combination of those things possibly mm-hmm. um, yeah that's so interesting so from you know a personal level I can't remember if I've shared it on the pod or not but I had really big f- adrenal fatigue issues last year um kind of coming off postpartum and you know everything um and uh it, it was it was rough my cortisol was like super bottomed out and it was just like I was so exhausted all the time and I've been working really hard with my naturopath on those things so it's really interesting kind of to hear too that connection that you're that you're talking about so um yeah I've been working a ton on sleep a ton on cortisol all of those things you know that gets to gets to come in being you know a new mom a mompreneur single mom all of those things like the stress just like comes from somewhere right Mm -hmm. even if you have an angel baby child like I do it's just like it adds up so uh it's it's so cool to see that there's like research coming on around this and what that looks like so um you know I shared with you before we started recording um that I'm from Portland and if you guys listen to the show you know that and in Portland obviously um if you don't know we're pretty big on the marijuana around here and how a lot of people use it for sleep and even I've noticed um, I don't know, in the last year or so, there's even more, it's not CBD. It's like another, um, CBN. like CBN. Yeah. A, another like strain CBN that people are talking a lot about for sleep. So how does like, you know, sleep supplementation with any sort of like marijuana, how does that really impact sleep? Is that actually a good tool to use 
what's kind of the research or thoughts around that? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I think first thing is the big distinction between a psychoactive substance like THC versus a non-psychoactive substance like CBD and CBN. And so it's very clear in the literature that um, THC does negatively impact your REM sleep. Um, and, you know, this is coming from someone where, you know, I used to smoke weed all the time uh, to relax myself. I think oftentimes it's better than alcohol. Um, and if you are going to, you know, do something to unwind, I think, you know, it's always like compared to what? Um, it could be a lot worse but it does come with this um, negative impact on your REM sleep. So Matthew Walker, for example, the famous sleep scientist is sort of very staunchly against marijuana because it reduces REM sleep in this way. Um, I think that he also would concede that, you know, if it is helping, there's probably some kind of threshold where it's better than not doing it, right? So if it's helping you, if you'd be up for two hours without it on a, you know, on a regular basis, mm -hmm. um, it's probably better to take it than not. And also dosage probably matters a lot. And, you know, if you, I think there's a difference between doing it every day and being like, okay, I'm particularly wound up. I know it's going to be hard for me to fall asleep. I'm going to do it once it might inhibit my REM a little bit, but I'm not chronically inhibiting my REM. What they find is that when you do it chronically, and uh, pun not intended there. Mm -hmm. with the, mm -hmm. chronic, um, <laughs> the chronic chronically. Mm -hmm. You do the chronic chronically, uh, you're going to inhibit your REM. And then there's actually going to be a rebound afterwards. And a lot of people that do chronically smoke weed will be like, oh my, and when they stop, they'll sit, they'll um, report having very vivid dreams. So mm -hmm. that's saying something like you've been inhibiting your body of something and then it bounces back and gets more. It's suggesting that you're sort of disrupting your body's homeostasis with things. Mm -hmm. That's unequivocally shown in the science. I think the explanation of that is a little bit, I'm not exactly sure if that's a bad thing, I guess. Um, one hypothesis that I have is when you smoke weed, you sort of are in a little bit of a dreamlike state when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're, in a way you're not negatively impacting yourself. Maybe you're just producing those sorts of brain states that are more like a dream state. So maybe you're just getting it at a different time. Um, that's another, that's a weird theory I have. Um, mm -hmm. sorry, uh, we're down for weird theories around here. <laughs> we like I, them. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but I have heard that, you know, with marijuana, if you, if you are getting some of that REM sleep impacted, your brain makes up for it in another way. I just can't remember which way it is. I mean, I think it would make up for it probably with more light sleep, if anything. But you want more REM, you want more deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, yeah. that's what we're going for. Yeah. Um, deep sleep is the sleep crack, as they say. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. we're going They're from like the cool. chronic to the sleep crack, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think if you were to be, you know, as 
healthy as possible. Like, I think there could be definitely a place for marijuana, but if you were trying to like be as healthy as, as possible and optimize, you try a CBN or a CBD. CBN has gotten a lot of validation for sleep, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have that REM inhibition component because it's not psychoactive. Mm. But like a high dosage would need to be effective. So like a right. 25 milligram kind of thing. Um, whereas like a five milligram THC, um, that's, you know, bordering on that's probably, you know, more okay, but, um, you'd want a higher dose of the CBN, uh, CBD for relaxation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm curious because sometimes I've heard, um, that like, if you don't have something that has a little THC with it, so the CBN or the CBD, needs THC to activate it. But I also don't know if that's just like a sales tactic at the weed shop. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I'm, I'm not like the biochemist side of things. So I'm, I'm really not, I don't know that aspect of the literature. I'd be curious. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From like a personal perspective, when I have done CBD oils that are just the pure low key, like couldn't feel anything, but then when it had a little bit of THC or even a bit of THC, you know, you feel it more, of course. Um, I want to go back to something that you talked about with the alcohol. So it's really common. You hear the phrase nightcap. Um, but we also know that a lot of people that have sleep issues, a lot of times they'll have a drink before bed to help them relax, to kind of chill out. But we know now that if you drink alcohol before bed, it does cause some relaxation of the muscles in the airway. Um, can you talk to us more about what alcohol does at bedtime? Um, like that classic nightcap, what does that do for sleep? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a big difference also between like one drink and three, you know? Right. Um, but alcohol definitely negatively impacts your sleep quality. It's one of the biggest things people find if they ever use a whoop or any, any of these wearables, you really need heart rate to measure the sleep stages and you'll just see that it gets completely destroyed um, when you drink alcohol, but especially for sleep apnea, right? And there's a ton of research showing that because of what you just mentioned, the muscles relaxing in the throat from alcohol, you won't even perceive it necessarily. And that's the thing about the nightcap is a lot of times you perceive, all right, I am asleep but your brain isn't getting the regenerative sleep. And so you don't know how bad it is actually. Um, but obviously you get a lot more hypopneas when, when your mouth is relaxed from something like alcohol. Hmm. And they say that snoring can be more uh, intense than maybe usual if, if you've been drinking, especially if you've been drinking heavily. Cause right, so don't do it for yourself. Do it for your spouse. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So what does the future look like for sleep space? Where are we going? What are we doing? How are we getting there? Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to work with you guys more. What what I'm trying to do is build a system that can phenotype the different um, types of people with sleep apnea. And I think the dentist is going to be more involved in actually solving this problem of sleep apnea. And as you're probably familiar, there's the MAD devices right. um, that, that they can play a role in. 
And so I think I'm developing a way of screening and phenotyping people during the day that the dentist can do. And then I'm going to systematically give people all of the best treatments. So it'll be one week. These are going to be non-compliant CPAP individuals. So it'll be, you know, one week. Really, you should try to use the CPAP. This is really important. Another week, do the myofunctional therapy. And I'm really interested in other breathing exercises, training you to breathe. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's probably... I think that's more or less effective for different populations. Like if you're someone that's like, you know, very much overweight, for example, I think it might work not as well as if you're someone that's sort of a normal weight and you had asthma and you're coming at it from like that angle of things mm -hmm. uh, where breathing has been a history has been a issue for you in your history so that's the idea is i think the future of medicine is like uh yes you have sleep apnea but you have sleep apnea type you know one three and so the best thing that you can do is actually myofunctional therapy don't even worry about the cpap necessarily or i mean i think for certain people cpap is definitely the recommended treatment um and it's right. the most efficacious. And I think people should use their CPAP. The good thing about myofunctional therapy, though, also is you can potentially get benefits when people are after they're non-compliant. So it's not like mm -hmm. you're either using it or not. You're actually training a different behavior at its root, which I'm always, as a behaviorist, mm -hmm. I feel like that is really important. Um, and so that's what I'm going to try to build is a system for phenotyping people's sleep apnea and giving these different interventions based on your phenotype. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell Kimmy and I've been friends for a while? We say <laughs> constantly. Saying the exact same thing at the exact same time. <laughs> Don't even have to be in the same state for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. And I, you know, we do, we see a lot of people who like can't tolerate their CPAPs or they're given a CPAP, but they're maybe a mouth breather. And so like, well, my CPAP doesn't work. And it's like, well, are you breathing through your nose or through your mouth? Right. Mm -hmm. Or they have structural implications that are an issue or, you know, from your side of things, there's behavioral things that might be going on. So I think that's so, so cool um, to start kind of phenotyping. Um, beyond just like the different levels of sleep disordered breathing um, or Kimmy, what did it breathing disordered sleep? Yeah, that's what Roger Price just said on our podcast. Like, yeah. Um, you know, cause there's obviously there's different levels within that, but then there's still different, you know, implications and there's different levels of like what people need structurally, behaviorally, um, you know, functionally as well. So looking at all of those things to treat the whole person versus again, everybody kind of with their, like in their space with their blinders, we only exactly. look at this thing. I think that's, I think that's really cool. And I think that's where we should be going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like my future vision is like, and I think there's a distrust issue with the patient as well. So if I go to the pulmonologist and they're saying, the only thing you can do is a CPAP, or I go to my dentist and they're saying, the only thing you can do is an MAD. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to you and you're saying, I mean, I don't think you're saying that. I think you're probably more holistic. 
But what I would love is for the dentist to be like, you know what, you really need a CPAP. This is just not going to work for you. And the pulmonologist to say the same about this. Okay, you're really non-compliant. So I want to create a world where people are given the best solutions for them, not being peddled whatever the practitioner's services are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or what insurance covers or mm-hmm, those parameters that people get put on themselves. Mm-hmm. Result, it has a negative impact because then people are like, this whole Western medicine system is bonk and then they don't do anything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Then there's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on sleeping pills and like implications on the brain with like sleeping pills, trazodone, all that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the main reasons that we're we're doing this is because a lot of those pills are meant for like short-term issues and there's definitely like a place for them, but the recommended treatment for something like insomnia um, is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, hmm. so addressing the behaviors at, at their root. And that's not to say uh, I'm not a, this isn't medical advice or anything. Um, that's not to say there isn't a place for um, the pharmaceuticals, like especially like periodically. Um, but they can also have a negative impact on your sleep quality for chronic usage. And uh, for older people in particular, they come with the hazard of increasing falls at night. Mm. So there's definitely negative aspects to it. And in a certain way, they're often like a Band-Aid to a deeper behavioral issue. Mm. And that's why the usually when they validate these drugs, like no pharmaceutical company would ever dare um, compare their drug to cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It mm. will not work as well. Um, so that's sort of my general opinion. That being said, there's definitely a place for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and melatonin, you know, taking it all the time hasn't been shown exactly. Maybe a very small dosage could be effective, like 300 micrograms. Um, but melatonin has been useful for like jet lag and shifting your circadian rhythm and stuff. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, that's so cool. It's been fascinating to listen to you and to hear from your perspective, you know, cause we are coming at it from a different lens, but so much of it is behavioral and like your, your routine, I guess is a big part of it too. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us and we will definitely link your app and all the information about it because it's a really, really cool product. Thank you. And I hope to talk to you soon about all this and let's talk offline. I want to learn more about your practice and everything. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And if people want to find you on social media, how can they track you down? Oh, uh, Dr. Snooze. Um, Dr. Period Snooze or Dan Gartenberg. Uh, on Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. And of course you can find Kimmy and I at the Munch Bunch podcast. You can find Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory. You can find me at NWMFT. And of course you guys can find us in November in the Dominican Republic at the Munch Bunch Wellness Retreat. Um, Mm -hmm. They're selling out fast, you guys. So if you're still, if you're interested and you've been on the fence, reach out to us. Uh, We'd love to chat with you guys more about 
battling through burnout um, and really giving you guys some clarity on, you know, kind of where you want to be at the next stages of your lives. So DMS, obviously links are in, we've been talking about it nonstop. So links are in our bios uh, on the website, on social media. And Dan, thank you so much for spending Mm -hmm. time with us today on this munchy Monday. Um, We loved hanging out with you and learning from you, just like our affirmator said. So, all right, you guys, we will catch you on the Munch Bunch next Monday. We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website www.mouthmusclememory.com.